This week's episode is brought to you by Blumhouse's new release, Something is Wrong with the Children. A group of friends on a weekend cabin trip begin to suspect something supernatural is at play when the kids behave strangely after disappearing into the woods overnight. There's Something Wrong with the Children is the latest horror film from Blumhouse Productions, available to buy or rent on digital now. This film is not rated. Welcome to the Colors of the Dark podcast, sponsored by Fangoria. I am one of your hosts, Art Kane, and joining me is the ever sick, ever but ever lovely, and very uh, PhD Rebecca McAndrew. I'm actually not that sick anymore. I'm just recovering. Well, you I'm, sound I'm sick. I'm recovering. I know. I know. I can still hear it in my voice too. Like it's not as um, husky as it usually yeah. is, or maybe it's huskier. No, it's husky, I don't know. Definitely husky. Um, in my head, it sounds like weird, like different volume than usual. Um, so cool. You got me a little smoke here tonight. Mm-hmm. I had a ridiculously bad chest cold flu type thing last week. Not COVID. I could have taken off from work if it was COVID. Um, but Elric had COVID, so he had us all covered. That's the irony. The COVID I had was so mild. Like I just felt lazy. I didn't feel I had no coffee. And you had to stay home yeah, for 10 days. I, was, I, I like have to keep sending emails like I'm still not okay to come back to class, y'all. Like we have to teach on Zoom. Like I feel like such like, you know, like nobody believes I'm actually sick and I had bad whatever that was well so. it feels like that we need to start then with this episode because there's one <laughs> obvious film but i actually have turned mine into a, a a sick triple um that is topical but let's start with let's dive right into saying we we i know we both saw a new film called sick sick yeah so this was my my sick night watch when um the night that it really hit me i was like well this seems fitting um and so let's head back to the pandemic i do have to say this may be one of my favorite pandemic movies we've seen a couple movies come out of the pandemic that are and i mean like i will say like glorious is a pandemic film but ones that are directly about the pandemic there's a couple of them and um i think you're going to talk about the other yeah. one tonight that i thought was really tight yeah, i think there's two different but- streams there's the it was shot on the pandemic and you are seeing or about the pandemic and you see masks or you see some mm-hmm. sign that it was definitely shot on the pandemic or and then there's the ones that aren't necessarily shot on the pandemic but they feel like they're about the feelings of the pandemic. And I, exactly. I tend to prefer the second, obviously, because it's more like yeah. about, the, and the one we're going to talk about next is is both, actually. But this one is yeah. definitely very much of its time, production-wise, and what you see on screen. So Sick is the new one by Blumhouse, who's one of our sponsors tonight. Thank you, Blumhouse. Um, Sick is the new one from them, and this went straight to Peacock. And it is a slasher about two girls who are going to quarantine together. They're doing like a spring break trip. They're going to one of the girls' um, parents' cabin. And they're going to quarantine together for a bit. (laughs) Ernie, you're going to want to cut that. Um, Keep it for realism. (laughs) I know. I know. That's Everybody can hear that I'm recovering um, and that I've still got that like residual cough working but they head to a cabin to um quarantine over the weekend and even they are kind of weird around each other like it was definitely set in the high days of the pandemic where they're like 
wiping down pizza boxes with Lysol wipes and they're wearing masks inside and in the car when they're around each other and they only take them off when they're outside. Um, and God, I remember Lysoling my groceries. Like that was a whole ordeal. Um, I remember you so, did yeah. that. Like I know everyone was different. I never did that, but it wasn't, be- I, I think it was just out of laziness, not because I didn't believe it could be what we needed to do, but it was interesting seeing those details because I'd forgotten in a way, yeah. I'd forgotten that part of the pandemic, the part, the peak, like in that first couple months of being at home. So I I referred to the garage as triage. Mm. And that was like, I wouldn't wipe down boxes, but I would take everything out of the box. So like if I got a frozen pizza, I would just take it out of the box for the box away immediately and then put the inner plastic in the freezer. Um, and so like I had this whole procedure yeah, down I remember. for it. It was it was intense. Um, but yeah, so it's two girls, they're quarantining together in a cabin. And then all of a sudden weird things start happening. And then one of their friends shows up and then they realize that there is someone outside who is trying to kill them. And that's where I'll stop. That's probably well, well, the one like thing it. you probably could give away is that there's a cold open before them. Yes. That is just like a straight, like right out of scream. Like somebody's on the phone. Somebody sto- like comes into a, t- it's a guy, young guy coming back from a supermarket and somebody's bursting in and a full on slasher sequence. Yeah. That's enough to tell you what kind of movie you're in for. Um, as it grows, it, this is directed by John Himes, who I was super impressed by alone. His, um, you know, woman being stalked in the wilderness film from a couple mm-hmm. years ago, son of Peter Himes, the great director. And this is written by Kevin Williamson, um, which is makes, you know, obvious sense as you watch it. It feels like Kevin Williamson, like it's got that social awareness of scream and it's got the 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 tones like it feels it, it feels a there. little i mean no offense it feels a little more like a scream ripoff like the kind of movies that <laughs> were, like you know what i mean like he wrote a masterful screenplay with scream uh but it did at times i didn't think it was like as clever i think for me this one was interesting i think the directing is like a plus plus like directing yeah. the shit out of this movie like you're gonna remember this for the set pieces what the camera's doing some of the care I didn't really like the characters at all. I didn't. So that was part of it yeah. for me is uh, I found um, one to be kind of callous and the other to be wishy-washy. Yeah. And then the guy to just kind of be a douche. Yeah. Um, but the set pieces were what carried me through. God, the one on the raft, that was such a tight yeah. set piece. Like one of my favorite murder set pieces in years. Reminds me a little bit of Hush, you know, in terms of structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read a really, really good tweet but somebody wrote they said something before i had seen it and they said this movie is like one creative mask away from being a classic and that's a really interesting point because they're just wearing normal masks like the killer's not really wearing a a killer mask if this was the valentine mask you know suddenly i think this would become a very memorable film it it lacks an iconic image mask. yeah it doesn't yeah have they're that just image. wearing yeah. the plain black face mask like paper mask that we all wore during the pandemic yeah. so yeah it does not have that image it's just people in masks yeah. like tracing each other that said i wonder i do feel like as i was watching it i liked it i didn't love it like some people loved it but i really thought it was well made i do i did feel like you know what two three years from now when we're hopefully away from the pandemic if we ever get that distance i could see it aging quite well compared to mm-hmm. most films about the pandemic because it it's still a good slasher film and it just happens to have the it, it has iconography that we might look back and go oh remember that time and right now we're still too close it's, you know, it's still just at our back heels it does go into a much more social commentary place as the film goes very it does. pretty on the nose it but quite funny heavy. and weird and um and you know but it's yeah it's not it's I not did, subtle like, where it goes it isn't it very much goes but that even that was a bit of ptsd about the pandemic about you know 
And it, it brought it in slowly where it was like the girl standing in line at the grocery store coughs and everybody turns and looks at her. I remember being that person. Um, but it gets more intense as it goes along yeah. in, in its social commentary of how we accused each other a lot during the pandemic. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think I definitely recommend it if you can get Peacock. <laughs> this is this is a slasher film uh, that you don't get many like this made this well, this exciting. Anyway, I highly recommend this in terms of like just a great straight ahead slasher. I think it will age better the further away from us it gets. Um, but I did watch two others I wanted to put in here. One is one I watched because you had recommended it. And uh, Matt Barone of the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, he had said, told me it was his favorite, one of his favorites last year. And uh, and this might be my favorite film I've seen about the pandemic uh, directly, to be honest. And this is The Harbinger, um, directed by Andy Mitten, who had done Yellow Brick Road and Witch in the Window, which I thought was very well made. Um, and this is about kind of similar thing where you've got this family who are very isolated. They've isolated themselves. They're being very careful in the pandemic. It's, a, you know, a father, a daughter, a brother. Uh, and they're just, you know, they seem like a really nice family. She gets a call from this friend of hers in New York City who is suffering these really intense nightmares and is freaking out. And she lives in obviously a hellscape at this period during the pandemic uh, where you where your neighbors and, all, you know, threats all around and asks her, begs her to come. And there's some history between them that I can't recall if it's ever said, but it's something like, oh, she is somehow responsible for saving our, our lead character's life and at a moment of like yeah. being super down. Right. Uh, I can't recall yeah. exactly when, but it was it was very much like like a you owe me not yeah. she never said that but it was like clear that this girl felt um like she you know needed to be there for this girl like not even just on you know a friend level like there was something more yeah and taking the risk that that's so important to her uh even over family in this moment and that that's part of why it's such a kind of i don't know the stakes feel very high with these characters which i was really impressed by uh mm -hmm. so she ventures away from her family you know in the safety during this period uh to see her friend and her friends having these really intense nightmares that are really well portrayed uh, of a plague doctor looking thing that could be a demon uh that is coming to threatening her and it keeps changing you know the form of the dreams keeps changing but it's pretty intense up front the girl goes to stay with her friend. They start to bond. You know, they're, it's nice to see them together. And then the friend starts having the same kind of dreams. And this plague doctor is also getting through to her dreams and the reality. Now, what the horror is about and the reason why I think this is such a beyond the fact that it's made very well. Um, it's about a character. The, the, what we learn as the film goes on, um, kind of the lore of this particular demon is that it erases you from everything. Every Every everything. aspect of you will be gone. Um, once it takes you and your friends won't remember, your family won't remember. And it felt, um, and, and sometimes there'll be a remnant, like, you know, one odd photo that would be somehow left alive and people won't. They'll get, and they're like, who's that girl in the background? Like an uncanny, yeah. and there'll be an uncanny residue of your existence. And I thought that was, I honestly thought that was the most it's, clever idea of how yeah. it felt to no longer see your friends, to stop seeing certain people, to feel like outside of what what the world was suddenly. It, it really, to me, is a, is a very smart... This is a, I'm considering it this year just because I only saw it because, and I know it was only kind of dropped um, to be able to be seen towards the very end of last year. Um, yeah. But I would, I really, after seeing Sick, I was like, oh no, this is well worth everyone hunting. So you're right on this one. 
Yeah, I had talked about this one. I saw this when I was at Fantasia and it hit me. And that's what hit me. Like the pandemic stuff, you know, we we had just gone through. Like, I don't need to see it again. But it was the way that the demon in it functions and what it does and how just horrible it is yeah. and the way that it's portrayed within these two girls at a time when you can't really reach out to anybody else. Um, it was just, this is an intense movie. It's bleak and it's dark, but I really liked this one. Yeah, no, it's bleak and dark, but at least it's, it's so smart about what it is that you that's fine like i i I just think people will dig this i'd love to get him on the show now like because he's done enough stuff that i'd be curious um and then the last one i'll just be super brief only bring it up because uh this director made my favorite film of the last few years but i'd never seen his first film and his new film is one of my most anticipated and it's coming out on friday and we're talking about david cronenberg's son uh and his first film i back in 2012 i skipped it for some reason i don't know why i just I didn't believe that his son was going to make a good movie. I've got to say the Nepo thing. I think I was like, oh, I don't give a fuck. And then I saw Possessor years later and was like, this is the most badass. Antiviral is really well, good. It's very interesting. I, here's the thing about yeah. antiviral. The style is there. From, so antiviral is the end of my sick triple feature here. And it's it's actually the grossest of the three in terms of the sick stuff because everyone's always coughing blood and looking very sickly. Um, and it's got Caleb Landry Jones in the lead who's become, since then, obviously, he's gone on to be in Get Out and a lot of movies and is pretty well known. But he the vision is always there from frame one that what it suffers, the story gets very muddled in the middle and it gets kind of messy. And, and you're kind of, I was kind of confused at certain points. And it's one of those movies that's kind of like, ah, it's kind of middling at a certain point. And then the last like five minutes is as good as a body horror kind of finale as anything his dad did. Like it, it felt right in line with what his dad did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very fucked up final image where, so this is in a satirical uh, future, like all his films seem to be so far. Celebrities are selling their illnesses and he works for this company that is marketing them, but he's also trying to do kind of work a black market version. And then it's all about this one celebrity uh, and you start to see, is she dying and what's happening to her and she's being exploited. And it, 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 some of the conspiracy stuff in it, I must say like by the end, I was a little like, Hey, wait, what? What exactly is going on? Yeah, the conspiracy stuff. Yeah. And I mean, you see that in Possessor too, but it yeah. functions a lot better in that. Yeah, Possessor feels a, little, a lot clearer in terms of story. Mm-hmm. Um, This one's on Tubi, and I just, I think it's great for people to revisit like me. I'm, I My expectations of Infinity Pool is just going to be utterly bonkers and maybe not as good as Possessor, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a really baller movie, I can tell. So I'm excited about uh, where Brandon Cronenberg's doing. So I thought, I got to get this one on my list. So I finally did it. So are we going to see Infinity Pool on Friday? I mean, better base. Let's see where you're at. <laughs> I'm alive. I'm functioning I, and I, I need popcorn. I want to see it as soon as possible. So I'll yeah, just, I'll just hold, hold. Cause we were meant to go to another movie, which could take us to our next, our next conversation. Yes. Uh, the next one, which is weird. Are we doing that one tonight? Cause uh, I was going to save that for some deep cuts. Yeah, no, maybe we could. I will, I will give a shout we'll out. We'll tack it. We'll tack we'll it. Tack at the end. I will just say, uh, January Giallo, shout out to Cinematic Void for doing really uh, great work. Let, we'll save that for our, because I've got a bunch of old, new stuff, so we'll save that one for our uh, our other. But uh, yeah, hopefully people, I have noticed some people writing to us saying they've just, you know, been watching some of our Giallo picks that we've been doing. That's awesome. Picks, which is fun. Well, I will cough my way into my sick pick of the week. Um, I've been watching Last of Us. Have you been watching? Mm-hmm. I really like it. Okay, excellent. So, I um, remember this video game and had a blast with it. So this video game, I remember vividly because it was promoted at E4, which is like this big video game um, convention here in Los Angeles, like a big marketing event that I went to the year I was ridiculously pregnant with Marnie because hmm. I have a picture of me playing the game 
like in front of a massive standee at the event and I'm like stupid pregnant. And I probably stood in line for like two hours to test this thing out. Um, So I didn't play much of the game. This wasn't one like Silent Hill where I played like, you know, start to finish multiple times and can tell you all the different variations. Um, But I love what they have done with the show. I mean, obviously at this point, they've only released two episodes. I've watched them both. And the biggest thing that I like about Last of Us is I was worried with the show that it was going to become Walking Dead 2.0. And you can feel notes of that, that it is, you know, ragtag group of survivors walking through the zombie apocalypse. But there's they're doing some different stuff with it. Like it does not feel quite as ensemble yet. Um, Right now, we very much have like one sole character and um, the girl who is the queen of Bear Island from Game of Thrones. I will watch her in anything. She's really good. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome. So it feels walking deadish in that, you know, it's these people walking through this kind of zombie-esque apocalypse. What I fucking love about it is the fungus. Um, because I I'm a mushroom and yeah. you know it. I'm such a mushroom enthusiast, uh, like in all forms. Yeah. And so I just I find them to be fascinating. And you know, I love that they they use that as the starting point. Um, because I I just I think that that's honestly it's a fresh approach um to some type of zombie pandemic. And it made me say, you know what, I will watch your Walking Dead pandemic y thing. Give me mushrooms. Yeah, I'd so, I'd never yeah. <laughs> this shows how out of it. I'd never even heard of Last of Us, the game. And that shows how far <laughs> I have not played it, nor even Resident Evil is the last game I have ever heard of. Um, but I so I just heard the good things. So I was suddenly I tuned in the the week before last, and I will say what it feels like at the start is The Walking Dead, but in the way that The yep. Walking Dead felt when you first saw it, which is the little which girl is a very walking good in. thing. Mm-hmm. Because like when you first watched the Frank Darabont Walking Dead, it was like holy shit, how did you do this on TV? That was kind of the feeling. The first episode, especially yep. the way it focused on the girl, and and you really get absorbed in her world. Um, I thought that was really cool. And yeah, I'm, I'm in. I I thought I thought the it's making the creatures look different. They're not like the zombies because they're they're all connected through all this they got the little cordyceps i can't remember the name of it but the little the the little mushroomy things that stick out that kind of spread the disease you know i'm I'm Um, very interested where it'll go and i you hit on something that i think is complete true the bigger the walking dead get got cast wise the worse the show got and the worst like the problem you know you don't want to get too big it was it was good when we were like all about some norman reedus and a couple other characters but as soon as i was following like 20 different people around I lost interest and that was probably about season three for me was where, yeah, yeah, where I got real watered. And so I'm hoping that last of us doesn't do that. I know it's hard to keep your characters alive forever. And even in this one, somebody who I thought, you know, that we saw in the first episode that I was like, Oh, I bet that's going to be one of our protagonists um, meets a a quick fate very quickly. Um, And that's not a spoiler. It's very quick. Um, So yeah, it's I'm sure that they will have to, you know, take away some of our protagonists. But I just don't want them to suddenly become, you know, 20 different survivors of all walks of life, crossing paths constantly throughout the zombie landscape. Well, and and Um, as somebody who believes the unbearable weight of uh, talent with Nick Cage deserves all the Oscars, uh, and it will get none. uh, Pedro Pascal, who is 
equally awesome in that Nick Cage movie. In this, he's the lead, and I'm very happy to see him uh, lead a good TV show. I mean, he did Mandalorian, of course, but he's he's not he's in a mask in Mandalorian. So, um, and you know, it's wild, and it was just so coincidental. Um, the night that I started watching this, I watched it, and then I had just picked up a brand new book, which is a very me book to like. This is mm-hmm. my bedtime reading, Patient Zero: The Curious History of the World's Worst Diseases, and <laughs> oh I God. after I know I know this is the shit I read at bedtime. Why do you think you're sick? It's all coming for you. They don't want you to figure this out. They know you're going to crack the code. I know. I know. So I watched this and then I'm like, that was really cool. And I close, I turn off my TV. I immediately open my book. And the very first chapter is on ergot poisoning, um, which is the fungus that hooks itself to rye that like causes, you know, people to to dance themselves to death that, you know, that honeydew was about the thing that like, oh, yeah. you know, drove people crazy that they think the Salem witch trials might've been ergot poisoning. Mm. And the whole chapter is focused on how much mushrooms kind of fuck us up and then how much helpful they are. Like eventually LSD comes out of Erga, which is really cool. Mm. And um, so, yeah, it was just a wild Mm. and how much they mentally control us and can control insects. And, you know, that certain fungus growing on ants or foxes or coyotes can make them do things and have decisions and it's fucking hmm. wild. So um, that's my go mushrooms. Okay. That was hey. it's a cool approach. Uh, from mushrooms, cool approach. Uh, I will just say quickly because you talked about it last week, but it came to VOD last night. So at about ten o'clock last night, I got to watch Megan, and I freaking loved it. I've got to say, it's fun. So much, I mean, it's you know, for so far of the year, it'd be my favorite. Just like that's what you want movies to be like. Yeah. Uh, and it's just it doesn't outstay its welcome. And what I liked about mm-hmm. it, I mean, I already knew it would be well directed because I think Housebound's one of the best like horror comedies the last few years. Um, yeah. And Akala Cooper, obviously, she's just crushing it. Um, I'd love to get her on the show too as the writer. Um, but no, this one, what I loved about it, how was how you know sometimes when a movie's really now. I find that to be the meme kind of stuff that it almost puts you off seeing the movie because it happens so fast. But in this case, all it, it felt perfectly about now, but especially I feel like the last couple of weeks, the debate about AI has just gone through the roof with all the art and all these, you know, things that people are creating that is threatened, you know, and the fear of it threatening artists working life and there's so many po- we don't know what these things will do and i think this movie leaned in so well that it didn't feel like a chucky and never never once really for me felt like a chucky ripoff mm-hmm. it, once i was in it i was like no this is about uh you know well obviously it's about uh her uh, it's about a woman not knowing how to connect to a child really that's what it's about in a lot of ways and so instead she just gives her something instead of trying and and it turns out to be this incredible megan doll who becomes her clutch and i i thought that was emotionally really interesting unfortunately I've, i identified a little too much with the guy who's driving the car at the start and his wife and uh, before they die in the opening scene and she's like you didn't know this wasn't a four-wheel drive and he's like i don't know it's a big car it looks like a four-wheel drive and i'm like i probably <laughs> said the same line uh, that would have been that's your character is i don't know I would have lasted 30 seconds in this movie and before being killed um but i i really love i, I I thought also there's this great scene where they're trying to sell the Megan to the to the boss guy and they're putting mm-hmm. it on and it's just so emotionally involving and so well done and you're feeling the things that the people being pitched to are feeling and that's so hard to do like so hard to yeah. write something that will feel fresh on both sides um of the screen in this way and I don't know I thought it was really smart I laughed multiple times I thought she was you know brilliant the Megan character uh I don't know I it just it's like cool it, it, it is, if it had gone another 20 minutes I would have been like oh, okay might have outstayed but you know, it was perfectly paced. I mentioned that that it was like 
it cut all characterization out of the top. Like yeah. it does, it got minimal character. It just gets to the killer doll and you're in, you're out. Yeah, and um, yeah, it, it, so it was just Which is rare. It's very yeah. rare now. Like we're talking about the pale blue eye, you know, the other week. It's like, you know, that's about 20 minutes longer than the the, the sweet mm-hmm. spot for that movie. Oh God, yeah. That movie just struck. Yeah. But, and I love that it's kind of transcending a little bit now. Like I feel like it's grown to be something a little bit bigger because yeah. like, Marnie and is in fourth grade and she's begging me to watch it. And I think I'm gonna let her. I would let her. Like, I, I feel like yeah, this one. There's nothing in it no, that I'm like questioning. This it's feels just like violence. good ga- gateway horror, even better exactly. than um, Chucky. Like if you watch Ch- the first child play, I know there's a s- sadism to Chucky that I wouldn't necessarily want a kid to latch onto because it's actually kind of fucked when you look back. Yeah. But with this, it isn't. She's just protecting her friend. So I think everything's understandable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it really is a good uh, young person and entertaining for older people, too. So, uh, yeah, really I'm glad like to it. hear you say that because I mentioned it um, to one of my co professors that I think I was going to watch it with my daughter tonight. And he was like, You're letting her watch Megan? And I was like, There's nothing really in yeah, it. Like, it's not, it's not sex or that. Like, it's, it's no, there's nothing that I would be like, No, I don't want to show you that. It's just, it's a little scary. That's about it. Yeah. So, and it's fun. It's, no, I'm, I'm happy this did well. Like, this mm-hmm. is the kind of movie, it got, you know, it's like Barbarian. And and when people are comparing it to Malignant, um, you know, because it's James Wan and stuff, and Blumhouse, and I, I don't think that's, I think this is a much, Malignant's so bonkers that you have fun it with is. how crazy it is. But there's parts of that movie that I also kind of make me go, eh, this movie is actually a really well-oiled machine. Like, to me, it's yeah. kind of a perfect little uh, screenplay and, and direction, kind of like the way the menu feels perfectly in line. Um, right. But yeah, so I had, a, I had a really good time. So I highly recommend this now that it's on VOD. Yeah, this one was a trip. Um, okay, I am going to go. Okay, so let's continue with our, our TV viewing. Okay, yeah, I've got a couple um, more movies, and there's one TV you asked me to watch, and I did. Yep, I've got a couple of TV here and a couple more movies and a graphic novel okay. as right. well. Um, so let's go with the one that I know we both watched. So we watched Velma. Well, you now, watched this, and told me to watch it. So. I watched it and then I was like, okay, oh, Rick, you have to watch this because I need to talk about it with somebody and it can't be somebody online just being pissed off because the character is Asian or whatever. I watched two episodes, um, I, the first two. I haven't finished it. I watched one and a half. Okay. Um, so I wanted to love this. When I heard the pitch of like, it's Velma. It's solely focused on her. It's a cartoon, but it's not a cartoon for kids. It's a cartoon for adults. It's feminist. It's self-aware. It's meta to a degree. Um, they change the race of all the characters. They change the sexuality of all the characters, and there's no shaggy. I was kind of like, I love that bold swing. I love it. I wanted to love this show so much. And for the first maybe 10 minutes, I was like, why is everyone hating on this? I think it's great. And then it just kept adding plot and plot and storyline and more stories. And then there was like a B line and a D line and a G line. And then it, I lost it. I couldn't, I don't know. What did you think? Yeah. Well, I I didn't read anything. I had heard that it wasn't doing well initially. And then I I was kind of, Oh, I wonder if you love it. And that's why you're making me watch it. And the first 30 seconds, I think a little cockroach gets on another cockroach and starts fucking it. And I was like, yeah, I was like, what? Like, I just didn't even, that was the kind of, that was the kind of inclusion where I was like, what am I clearly probably to say this is an adult show, but the tonal mess is what puts That's me it. off. Like the, the yeah, the race stuff it obviously throws you for a half a second because you're going, oh, who's that character? And then, but that's not like anyone having a problem with that's an no. idiot because who cares? The IP is, you know, has been around for 40 years. We have enough of any kind that you want of this show. Uh, that part wasn't bothering me. More than that. I mean, yeah, it's 40, 50, like I guess it's, yeah, maybe. 50, maybe. Yeah. That I will say there is in episode two, there's a friend of hers and he doesn't have 
uh, Nor Norbit or something, but he's clearly Norbert. he's clearly Shaggy. He's clearly Shaggy, but he's not. Yeah, he and so that that Shaggy. actually bothered me too because I wish he was just called Shaggy, and my brain wouldn't have to like my brain was having to like do gymnastics trying to figure out who they were. Uh, there, there was my, what I will say is I actually laughed out loud a couple times, even though I wasn't oh. like I'd be watching it not liking it, and then something I would have a quick gag that I'd laugh yeah. at. I I thought Velma herself was actually very good. Like the, the Velma character, but everything uh -huh. around her is is kind of hot garbage and too crazy. And I just was I kind of want to finish it before I have a final take, because like I said, there's a couple moments where I was like somewhat entertained in her backstory. I was like curious about the mom stuff, but there, the Fred stuff and all that, it was just so the tone was so all it over was, the place. It put me it off. It was all know? over. And I enjoyed some of the meta moments. Yeah. Like there were moments where they literally called attention to, well, this is the first act break. Well, this is where we're going to introduce new yeah. information. And like they, they were having so much fun with it. Yeah. And I wanted to love it because I wanted to love what it was doing. But it was just swinging so fast yeah. from like trying to be super scary to trying to be edgy, to be meta, to be socially commentary. It was it, just it was a gag a everywhere. And yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And so I'd be curious to now read. I'll probably watch because it's only four episodes, what I could tell. Yeah. So I might just finish to see what I'm just curious at kind of where it lands. But it was it was definitely like within a few seconds. I mean, the opening, a bunch of naked girls in a bathroom reminding me of like um, Slumber Party Massacre's opening. And I'm watching that and I was like, oh, this could be fun because it's kind of a funny but idea. But the whole time, but the whole time they're having a conversation on um, the male open. gaze. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how all shows open with nudity. Yeah, no, that. so I was like, oh, okay. But again, it comes down to like, this could just be an original cartoon and that would be more interesting. You don't need to mess with Scooby-Doo. You know, Scooby-Doo already appeals to adults. You don't need to make an adult Scooby-Doo because we already like Scooby-Doo, you know? So that was the biggest thing that I saw online, which is why I was like, I need somebody that I trust to watch it because yeah. if you go online, every comment is either just, you know, the the trolls pissed off because they switched up races right. and sexualities or what is more predominant is this destroyed my childhood and i don't believe that shit no, at all no. like nothing is going to destroy my childhood the scooby-doo that i had when i was a child is still intact and it doesn't matter what you do to it bad, um, bad it remakes and bad ip changes do not like sometimes nothing. to be honest i'm happy because i it means that the originals keeps the shine you know like and you know, i always give the example of hellraiser like no matter how many bad hellraisers sequels yeah. we got i never stopped liking the original just as much yeah and so it, i don't buy that oh it broke my childhood bullshit but that was like the biggest thing online was you know people just pissed that they touch scooby-doo yeah and no, that's that's a shit reason yeah well it's just it seems like there's so <laughs> much there's so much out there to go consume mm -hmm. why why get hung up about it but look we are both you won't find two bigger scooby-doo lovers than nope. us from our childhood so that i'm sure watching those hannah barbera early ones are a big reason why i love horror so uh, it doesn't offend me in that way it more the tonal whack well just being whack i was like what is yes yeah. it was just yeah. bonkers yeah. like not in a good way in a I could not keep up with everything that was going yeah, on way. So. I'm not going to go deep into it, but I because it's been around for too long, but I actually just watched the first two episodes of Chucky, which I never watched the show. And I've got to say the show is really I'm good. I was really impressed. I was like, oh, this is really fun. And the characters really I like yeah. the lead character. And I like just the it feels like it's about something much more personal to Dawn. So I'm like a lot more interested than I thought I would be. I'm I'm pretty burned on the whole Chucky as a character franchise anyway. At the, in the last few movies, I just didn't care anymore. And then watching this, I was like, oh no, I can get into this now. So I might I might come back and keep watching that because I was uh, I know there was a third season just greenlit. So yeah. Um yeah. So I 
love this show. I loved I and I have not made it through all of the second season yet, so I don't know exactly yeah. where it goes. Um, but I just loved that it made it Chucky is not necessarily just 100% like a straight killing machine. Yeah. Like it had so much more nuances to it and the characters and yeah, it made it personal. Yeah, no, it just I I was surprised because I had no interest when it came out. I don't know why and now that I sat down and watched it I was going, "Okay, there's some good stuff here." Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so I'll go to my next TV mm-hmm. show, which I don't think is a TV show. If it series, I don't even know what we call shit anymore. This is the rig. Um, and this is on Amazon Prime. So this uh should be everything that I love in the world. Um, it is a Scottish series. It's very Scottish. Like I had to turn the subtitles on at some point. Um, because I was like, I I know they're speaking English, but I just need a little assistance here. Um, it is a bunch of ragtag blue collar workers on a rig on a mining rig. And immediately I go, Ooh, Ooh, underwater or space. And this one's underwater. They're on a giant oil rig in the middle of the ocean. It's, um, all it's a Scottish cast, but 90% of them, you're going to be like, Oh, they were on game of Thrones. Oh, they were on game of Thrones too. Wait, you were a King. Oh, wait, I remember you from game of Thrones. That's just constant through the episodes. Um, So ragtag group of blue collar workers are on this oil rig. All of a sudden, one day they start getting all these technical failures and the rig starts shutting down. And there, there's a boat that's kind of always stationed nearby that is supposed to be there. Like it's like their support if they ever, you know, need to get off the rig quickly and they can't get to the boat. The boat isn't even responding and they can't reach mainland and nothing. They're kind of stuck and they seem to be cut off from the outside world. And there's another rig that they can see that's like 10 miles away and they just see fire, flames shooting up from it. So they're like, what the fuck is happening? And then all of a sudden this massive thick fog rolls in and completely envelops the rig. And now they can't see out, they can't see around, they can't see anything. And then all of a sudden, all this weird stuff starts happening. Um, And I will say the weird stuff is not as strong as I wanted it to be in the first couple of episodes. Like when I'm watching a show like that, I want it to be that lost moment where the polar bear walks across the screen. And then I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Now I have to watch the next episode. This did not start having those kind of like, what the fuck is going on moments until probably episode three was when I was like, okay, now we're getting somewhere prior to that point. It felt kind of like Lord of the flies on this rig because Mm -hmm. they're trapped there. They can't reach mainland. Um, They start uncovering some secrets about the corporation who's making a mine and what they've been mining for and then it it seems like it's just becoming kind of a lord of the flies like we're going insane on a rig and can't talk to anybody thriller and then about episode three i'll say it starts taking a really strong sci-fi bend um i'm digging this i'm gonna keep going with it it's not horror as in like no one's ripping off anybody's faces and um you know cthulhu isn't showing up much to my dismay i would have loved it much more um but that said this is kind of that ensemble ragtag group of blue collar. I don't care if they're up in space battling aliens and xenomorphs. I don't care if they're, you know, mining on the bottom of the ocean floor. They can be on an oil rig. I will watch this story a bajillion times. I was trying while you're talking, I was trying to find it. I tried to recommend it to you before. It's a TV movie, horror film, kind of like somewhere like the thingish, but a group of 
oil rig people and they rig something really old, these old kind of eggs, and it comes up and turns into this weird sea creature thing that starts killing everyone on the oil rig. It's it's really cool. It's like a what is this? Well, this I'll try to find familiar. the title. Yeah, I was trying to find is I talked about it on a Pearson episode years ago on a TV movie thing. So I'll find the title for you because it was it was one that I always wanted you to see because it's an oil rig, you know, it's kind of it's not as good as Leviathan, but it's it's in that it's world. Like- I'm constantly trying to relive that which was aliens yeah. because that was like the blue collar yeah, yeah. workers or Leviathan or the abyss. Yeah. Any no, I, of no, those. I love I'm those constantly too, yeah. reliving it. This or underwater closest. did that too. Yeah. yeah. This, this is close. Oh, you're right. This underwater was the best, the best in a theater yeah. of that. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, I saw one that I really wanted to um, recommend you. Actually, I think you should check this out. This is—I uh, had seen a friend of mine had liked it. Um, Screenbox, which is obviously our new horror uh, streamer, that's um, you know kind of uh, filling in what we had Terrifier two already, so it's kind of making a splash. This is a new one from Argentina called History of the Occult, and I thought, I yeah, this. I was like, oh, is it a documentary? But it's not, and I think you'll like the framework. It's shot like a conspiracy noir film there's even a in one scene there's a all the president's men poster in the background um so it's shot black and white noir conspiracy it is the there's a 60 minutes show which is called 60 minutes to midnight and the host opens so it's all shot like it's on a tv stage and the host says this will be tonight uh, tonight will be our very last episode our sponsors have all been pulling because they know that we are getting too close to the truth. Well, this one sponsor is going to give us one last episode and this is going to be it. We are going to ha- sit down and we are going to reveal the truth behind what the, what the problem with this country, basically. And then it'll cut from the, the soundstage to the, the secret location where all the journalists who put the show together are kind of hiding out. And they're all like waiting for the ball, ball to drop, which is they have proof. They believe they have actual evidence that will prove a basically a Lovecraftian conspiracy that all of the government, the president and all of these are people in dealing with warlocks and covens and all this stuff. And so it's, did you just say coven? Yeah. Like an oven. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there, you just made me cough smirk. Uh, sorry. I apologize for cough smirking you. That could be your band cough smirk. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it, and it's really interesting because it's not, I wouldn't say it's shot like a horror film, um but there's a couple beats that where there'll be some creepy thing because they actually all take uh what's the tannis root from rosemary's baby there's a part where they are all told that if they take the tannis root these these people in the office their their brains will be more open to actually see the truth of what's in this broadcast and i don't want to say too much more because it's much more it's a short it's only like 85 minutes black and white from the last year or so i think it was uh on in the festival circuit and i found it kind of like a ghost watch or something i found it was just unique like i hadn't quite seen this before and i got really absorbed in the what is the conspiracy how are they going to reveal it mm-hmm. i thought it was cool so it's kind of not a great title because it makes you think it's a documentary and it's not history they called I, I wish it was something a bit more like 60 minutes to midnight or which is the broadcast in the show but i do recommend this if any of those things sound cool to people and it was from argentina which has a you know a lot of political conspiracy uh throughout their history uh of people going missing literally from the streets mm-hmm. uh you know there's a lot to be angry about <laughs> so and that's where this i think it is set in the past i got the vibe that it was set in the 80s um but yeah definitely check this one out this one's on Screenbox, and i was uh, i was like this is a cool film Nice. Um, so I happened upon one on Shutter that somebody recommended me because it was on my watch list. Like when I started watching it, it was like I put it on my like letterbox want to see list like five years ago called The Collinswood Story. Mm. Was it you no, who recommended no. this? To- uh, okay. I've, I think I've heard of it, but don't know anything about it. 
It's host before host oh, okay. um, is basically. So this was, I had a lot of fun with it. It's from 2002. And the basic concept, it is it, it is like the earliest days of video calling. Mm-hmm. Like think like Freetel or whatever, like early form of like early 2000s video conferencing software. Mm-hmm. And so this boyfriend, girlfriend, but they're kind of on the rocks now because she moved away to college. He is in Virginia. And she has gone to college in Jersey. And so she, it's her birthday weekend and she's stuck there alone in this like creepy apartment that she's renting in this house. And so he decides to throw her a birthday party via video conferencing. Um, so he calls her up and she, they're like playing games and they find this number where you can call a psychic on video conferencing on the internet. Mm. So they're like, fuck yeah, let's call the psychic. And as soon as she gets on with the psychic, the psychic is like, oh, my God, you need to get out of that house. There's some bad shit that went down in that house you're living in. The people who actually own it that she rents the room from are gone for the weekend. Um, And so she's there by herself. It's this real old house. And the psychic is like, there was a coven there. There was all these coven. There's a coven that used to live there. There was a cult. There were all these people killed there. They found all these dead girls in the backyard. I'm getting all of this awful stuff. This house has awful history. You have to get out. Something is coming for you. And then she calls the boyfriend back on the video conferencing and is like, that was the stupidest thing ever. But then all these weird things start happening and she starts getting concerned and doing research on her own and finding out that a lot of the stuff is true. And um, it takes place over a couple of days as she's learning more and more about the house while the people are gone. And it it just very much, it's the psychic through video conferencing 20 years before host. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's not as good as host, like host definitely went there scare wise, but even seeing this, it was very much like, I see this, the nugget of us saying video conferencing can be scary and talking to somebody and letting them see your face and make a connection with you that you've never seen before is a pretty fucked up thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this one it's on shutter. It had some lulls in it. Um, you can tell it was like a real low budget jam back in 2002, but it definitely had some charm to it. And I was pretty captivated the entire way through. And I found the end to be a, a little ambiguous. I'm not even too sure what it finally meant in the final moments, but it was good. Mm, okay. Um, I watched one that was the Collinswood story. Yeah, that's another title that's hard to remember. Um, mm. I watched another new one. I was just scrolling for new things last weekend. Uh, it was called The Offering, and had a really good poster. And it's kind of like the Vigil. It's not as good as the Vigil, but it's set in Orthodox Jewish community, and it's uh, got some pretty cool demon kind of stuff. It's basically a guy is a young man and his wife, pregnant wife. He's kind of estranged from his uh, Orthodox Jewish father who runs uh, the morgue slash burial, the place like where you'd go up with the body. I mean, it kind of is a multi-purpose facility. Reminded me a bit of um, uh, what's that really good creepy morgue film we both love from the last few years. Uh, Autopsy. Oh, Autopsy of Jane Doe. It's got the look of that. It's never as good as that. Um, And it's kind of a creasy. So he comes back to see his dad. And he is angling for a loan to do some house thing. There's some, you know, he's in it for some bad reason. And uh, the dad is gets this new body of somebody who has just died that you saw in the cold open. And it was this Orthodox character who is dealing with a demon. He's filming himself. And the demon, it, this is a, actually apparently a, a Jewish lore, which is it's a demon that forces you, will, will promise you things like I'll 
let you see your wife or I'll become something that you desire, but you have to bring a child for me. So it's all about killing children, which is pretty wild. Wow. And so they have to come. And so this one guy has gone down that trap and uh, the demon has like kind of entered him. So this body comes to this morgue, but we know the demon is inside it. So you're waiting for it to get free. And there's some really creepy scenes in this, but it ends up, it's one of those things where you're watching a movie that on one hand is giving you these original ideas and very original possible beats and then treating them utterly generically, like with big sound bursts and big, obvious, you know, jump scare sounds where you're like, you didn't need to do that. You could have just been creepy. Like, but, it, but it, it's, so I'm middling on it for sure. Um, but it had, a, it, it does go full. There's one part where you full, see a full demon thing that was actually for a second. I was like, damn, that's, it felt pretty big. Um, but there's things about it. I liked and other things that left me a little wanting because I, I felt it kind of was trying instead of trying to be the vigil it's trying to be the conjuring without having quite that resource you know behind it mm-hmm. um but interesting interesting and nevertheless that's called the offering uh by oliver park it's one you know i just stumbled on his brand new film 2023 so um okay. interesting yeah i saw the cover for this and yeah. it looked really fascinating yeah, so well i do you have any more i, movies I have one more just one from Sundance. So I, I got a graphic novel. Okay. So we'll hold. Last one. I'll be quick on this. So I did sign up every year. I've liked doing the Sundance online since it's been online, at least something this year. Not as many of the genre stuff were it. So I, I I bought two. I'll do the other one, the second one for next the next show because I haven't seen it yet. But um, the first one I watched uh, last night, it's part of the next program. So it wasn't in the horror section, even though it's basically horror cult. Uh, and it's called Divinity by a director called Eddie Alcazar who from what I can tell is kind of respected in like out there art slash crazy movies that are more like art than movies. Um, And this has, it's produced by Soderbergh though, which was interesting because it's not at all Soderbergh. It's got Steven Dorff and Scott Bakula playing his dad in the past. It's black and white shot on 16 mil Bella Thorne. It's, it's a, unfortunately to me, it's a little bit too much. Like I'm trying to make a cult movie and sometimes that, I love cult movies more than I love even horror movies. Like that, that weird place that movies are in between bunch of different genres from the 60s, 70s. That's like my favorite sweet spot. Uh, and this is trying a little bit to obviously to be in there, but it is interesting. So sit in the middle of a desert. Uh, Stephen Dorff is a scientist or like a guy who's become a billionaire based on this drug that will uh, keep your life much longer and makes everyone all jacked up. And so it's like on all the commercials, everyone's doing it. It's a drug and, and it has all it's one of those films that every second dude is what well, like a muscle man from like literally like kind of weight championships. So it's, you know, part of the style of the movie. Um, and Stephen Dorff's in that world. And it's like opens with him having sex with like, you know, his girlfriend or a prostitute. And then these two guys crawl out of the desert. It looks like they're probably aliens or something you don't really know initially um they crawl out of the desert and they abduct him and they force him to take his own drug the thing that he's become rich on until he starts morphing throughout the thing into this beast like a giant jacked beast and his head is all deformed super weird whereas uh while that's going on uh they're like discovered these alien creatures guys are discovering love for the first time then there's then there's all these jacked up dudes coming to try to get revenge and it ends with crazy claymation uh like there's a claymation moment and it's sci-fi cult camp wow it's everything kind of a grotesquery kind of movie uh so i had to at least mention it. it i didn't connect to it but i i was always going okay this is cool that 
this could be somebody's literally this is the movie they've been waiting for forever like it's that kind of movie where if, if it's your jam it's going to be a hundred percent your jam because it's so uh what it is um bella thorne who's you know kind of weird she's like in a bunch of intergalactic beautiful girls who are coming down to get some sort of revenge on, on you know the guys there I, so it's got all these strands that i don't fully come together but the way it looks and feels is is straight up you know total cult movie could have been a lost movie from the you know 1982 or something um but super you know interesting it, you know super interesting that Soderbergh produced it Stephen Dorff Scott Bakulis his dad that who had a more pure reason for doing the science experiment and then when he dies his son kind of you know corrupts it I guess um but yeah that's so who knows when it'll come out it was a Sundance film so you know look out for a film called Divinity What's the next one that you got? Oh, that was that it. oh the watched? other one? Yeah, the, I'll watch it for our next show. It's called Run Rabbit Run. And it's got the redhead from Secession, Sookie Snoop, the daughter. Yep. And people were saying it's pretty interesting. So there were the only two. A lot of the horror ones were um, only in person. Like, so yeah. there's one that looked fucking great. I think it was found footage from Australia. And it looked really wild. And I it was one I wasn't able to get online. So, yeah, I'll, I'll review that one the next show. Excellent. Well, I will round us out by talking about my graphic novel for the week, which is called Wellington. Hey, it's where I'm from. Um, not in this sense. Oh. This is about the Duke of Wellington, oh, okay. one of England's super like hoity-toity military heroes, yeah. but I'll get there. This one came out from IDW. I think it's probably a couple of years old. Um, I know that they have several volumes of it now, and I'm just now catching up to the first of the series. Um, this is by Aaron Menke, the guy yeah. who did Lore. And so, yeah, it's got some street cred behind it. It's about the Duke of Wellington. And he is like this great decorated military guy. But at the same time, he's also like known for solving mysteries and finding monsters and creatures. And he's basically like a supernatural detective. Hmm. Um, And so in this particular one, he is called to investigate the murder of a child and this roving pack of dogs and these mysterious sightings that this town has been having um, and this missing person. And he gets there and then it kind of goes from there. (laughs) Excuse me. It is um, a little stodgy and British. You can tell it's supposed to be. It's very much like your nerves can't handle this, Kitty. You should look away before I find the ghost and things like that. Um, but it does go there. It has great artwork. The body heart is really cool. I already ordered the next two books of it because I dug this one so much. It basically feels kind of Sherlock Holmesy, or I'll say even a little bit older than that, where it does have that kind of stodgy British man who's trying to solve everything but who it's ruffling his ascot and there's something really fun within it because it does have this kind of gory horror body horror quality mixed along with it um so it's an interesting one it is not what i was expecting by any means when i read the back but yeah it's i'm enjoying it it's very kind of refined british gentleman getting down and dirty with some monsters all right all right so yeah that was wellington all right well it's also the capital of new zealand and where i'm from so i'll take it um all right so now we are heading into part two of our show and we we had a guest that had to change so we we were pivoting i'm showing behind the curtains because uh sometimes you know for all you future podcasters uh and i realized it's not something we normally do but i thought it would be interesting to just do 
a quick five most anticipated horror, new horror films of 2020. Yep. Because, and, and what I will say from the outset, number one, Infinity Pool would have actually been one of mine, which is too soon though. But I will say the reality is the one that I'm going to enjoy most is one that won't be on this list because this list tends to cover things people know are coming out, which is usually the big theatrical movies or films that already have played at a festival. But yep. half the stuff that tends to be my favorite are the ones that I won't know about till I'm sitting in the festival or some random, randomly pops up because yep. so so keep in mind there's a lot of probably amazing stuff uh that will come out this year that i, yeah. I don't know where, where to look for that but i guarantee you what'll end up like in my top 10 list next year will primarily because it always is it's going to be that weird little film out of indonesia that i'd never even heard of that i stumbled upon and i was like holy fuck this was amazing um so yeah that but we wanted to kind of take a look at what's coming in 2023 so we're going to call this our 2023 preview but we're counting down kind of the five films that we are most looking forward to now i will also say um to keep in mind that release dates change oh, because yeah. I'm not I even was worrying about release through. dates. I'm just like hoping. <laughs> Some of these I, that I I included one on my list that's already been kicked down the field twice, and then I was like, man, that's never a good sign. Um, but or maybe it is because I mean, like Trick or Treat, they kicked that thing for like three years before they finally did like a quiet release of yeah, it. Yeah, usually it a bad just, sign, but then occasionally yeah. you'll hear about some movie that did a reshoot, and you'll think it's a bad sign, and then you see it, and you're like, that was brilliant, and it's just because that was brilliant. It's, maybe it yeah. needed the reshoot, maybe whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't bother to go with the release dates only because I, I just a lot of them were like TBD. So th- we're assuming these yeah. will all come out this year. Um, I will say, we'll see. The biggest thing that I enjoyed was the trend. And I won't get too in detail with yeah. this yet because I know we're going to talk about it as we work through our list. Vampires are back, y'all. Yeah. That was kind of the big thing that as I was looking at the titles and like what they had in common, um, you know, it's always like what we release in horror that we see like big studios putting out that are going to be like the 10 to even $15 million films and above. They're always like such a small percentage of what makes up the industry. It's literally like a 5% to 95 fall below that budgetary range and are coming from independent groups. Um, But that was the big thing that I saw looking at these studio films is we've got like three giant fucking vampire films coming. Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Athletic Greens and their nutrition drink, AG1, a product that Elric and I have been taking every day. After months of being in quarantine, Elric and I both wanted to improve our health in the new year. So we decided to try Athletic Greens. It's a health supplement that actually tastes great and really boosts your energy. Plus, it's from New Zealand, which Elric loves. So what is AG1? Uh, With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, all those things. I started taking mine daily right before my breakfast um, and before I started in with the coffee. So it became this thing that I was looking forward to as soon as I got up in the morning. It lets me know that I'm getting the nutrients I need. And after trying to choke down an assortment of homemade kale and quinoa smoothies I was making, I got to say the taste of this is great. It's got this wonderful lemon flavor. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, vegan, dairy-free, paleo, or gluten-free. As you guys know, I have crazy food allergies, and it is free from all of the eight major allergens, which I was really impressed with. AG1, it's a small micro habit with big benefits, and it costs less than $3 a day, so way cheaper than the cold brew habit. 
Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. I take it like 30 minutes before coffee, and it actually has given me a little boost of energy, which has been great. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello, I'm Grady Hendricks, author of books like My Best Friend's Exorcism and The Final Girl Support Group. And on January 17th, my new book, How to Sell a Haunted House, will be coming to a bookstore near you. It's the story of an adult brother and sister who have to overcome their lifelong hatred of one another so that they can clean out their childhood home and put it on the market after their parents pass away. The house is, of course, haunted. My publisher's legal department requires me at this point to mention that this book contains cursed puppets and haunted dolls. Reading this book may cause nausea, sleeplessness, dry mouth, night terrors, night sweats, uncontrollable urination, and the feeling that there may be puppets hiding underneath your bed. Readers who have been attacked by a puppet or doll are advised not to read this book or to read it only under the supervision of a medical professional. If you read this book and experience the unshakable feeling that dolls are sneaking up on you, that the dolls in your house are alive, that dolls are inside the walls, scratching on the walls, trying to get out of the walls, trying to get to you, that the people around you are actually dolls, that they want to take you and turn you into a doll also, then we suggest you seek the services of a certified doll exorcist immediately. Happy reading! So with that, let's dig in. What is your fifth most anticipated film of 2023? Yeah, and uh, yeah, as, as we go through these, uh, they're kind of in an order, I guess. Um, some of these are, we won't have much to say because some of them might not even have plot details. We'll just explain why we want to say it. This one, I saw a trailer for it and was like, what is this? The more I looked into it, I think it's pretty soon. I think it's already come out in England. It's called Any's Men, E-N-Y-S, Men, and by Mark Jenkin. And Neon is going to put it out, so it's always a good... But this is a folk horror uh, set in 1973 on an uninhibited island off the British coast. A wildlife volunteer descends into a terrifying metaphysical uh, journey that challenges her grip on reality and makes it a living nightmare. Now, the trailer to this, and, and you know I'm not a big trailer guy usually, the trailer is fucking awesome. It, I've heard, you know, the, with Skinnamarink, you don't see humans, right? Skinnamarink's a nightmare yeah. where you're not seeing faces and stuff. This apparently... I don't know if there's dialogue in this movie, but you see faces, you see people, and the trailer looks like it got me totally pumped. And um, what I've heard is that this director, um, my friend Oren had seen this and he said it's really great. And he said the director became obsessed with to, like learned uh, how to print film himself so he would print his own film when he makes these movies uh with his own lab and it's, it's like very handmade but a lot of people uh i've read who saw it in england said this is like the great folk horror movie that you've Ooh. kind of been waiting for that british truly nightmarish folk horror and so check out the trailer i know it's a little less known but i think it'll probably end up getting a pretty good release here if it's neon but it's any's men and i really didn't know much about it but as soon as my friend kind of told me that he also had heard sort of was good i'm like okay this is the kind of outsider where i'm like excited yeah good or bad i'll, I'll be excited if it doesn't work for me no problem but i'm 
curious because the trailer looks like vision. Like it looks like something's going on. 20 bucks mushrooms are involved. Probably. I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping. Um, okay. So in my number five spot, this is the movie that I mentioned that has been kicked down the field a couple mm-hmm. of times now. This is the Salem's Lot reboot. So this yeah. was supposed to be out last fall. And then it got kicked to January 2023. And now it has just been kicked to TBD 2023 question mark. And that's kind of the weird thing because that means that it was actually done last fall. Like that's what they were gunning for. But that said, oh God, it just sounds so good. This is Gary Doberman, who is the brain behind the nun and it and Annabelle, um, the second Annabelle. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's now, oh, I'm sorry. It is. It's set for April now. Um, and I love Salem's Lot so much. So this is the first of what I'll call the vampire movies coming in 2023. Um, but yeah, the Salem's Lot reboot, I just am anticipating the hell out of because I've always thought it was such an underserved property. Yeah, I have that asterisk. It's one of my favorite King properties. And like, just I love the world of Salem's Lot. And I know Lewis Pullman, Bill Pullman's son is the lead, which got me excited because he's in Maverick and in Top Gun. Yeah. Maverick. He's really good. Um, I, I had heard kind of industry chatter that uh they had to do reshoots because it just wasn't scary enough or something so i'm curious to know if that's what it is or if it's what it will be so maybe you know maybe it will end up being a positive when we finally do see it i'd be bummed if they if they do screw it up because it is because unfortunately when you screw one what that up no one will take a shot for another few years you know um okay yeah that was definitely my asterisk section too um my next one is one I didn't really, I'd only heard about, but once I figured out who directed it, it went straight on this list. This was a film called Cuckoo, and it has Hunter Schaefer from Euphoria, um, and she's really good in Euphoria. It has Dan Stevens, uh, who we all love, and not much is known. I did find this little, all it says is, a chase by a mysterious woman, 17-year-old Gretchen, who just moved with her family to an alpine resort after her mother's death must uncover a conspiracy to save herself and her sister. The still in it has Hunter Schaefer kind of cowering as some sort of you know yeah some now with a slasher character in the background who knows i don't know it's a slasher film if that's all i knew this wouldn't be on my list uh when i read who directed it it is tillman singer who directed uh two years ago this movie that came out of nowhere that you know weirdos uh fell in love with called luz l-u-z it was Mm -hmm. one of the early um yellow veil picture pickups and is one of those films that just had a fucking spell it is i couldn't tell you what the plot of that movie was but it was like a 75 minute just a atmosphere it was the fever yeah. dream yeah. it was amazing in the truest sense and i think a lot of movies get called fever dreams and then they don't live they aren't that good this one really is like there's sequences in this that are so dreamy and weird that i like i'm totally fascinated to know what this person will do in you know an american kind of setting movie so that alone i was in so cuckoo and you know other than that's pretty mysterious what it's about so uh very curious to know more about that one so in my number four spot, I have a feeling you might have played this higher. I have Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, that's, um, this, I, I will just say, and we won't do our normal rule thing because my number one doesn't matter. I've kind of put that uh, at the top because I'm just an Evil Dead person and I want to see, I love when the IP is not just being recycled. Let's move, yeah. move away from the cabin. Let's go to a family. Let's see what happens, you know? This is Lee Cronin who did Hole in the Ground, which I was mixed on. Like there were parts of that movie that I thought were really tight. Very well made. Very well directed. Yeah, Yeah. very well made. And some really eerie stuff. Like I can see why this would be his next move. Um, But yeah, I I am excited for this one just because the trailer does look so different. It does not. It looks like they're just kind of taking the Evil Dead mythology of the demons and and kind of just, you know, yeah. 
and putting it in some place completely different. And I love the whole idea of the mother. Um, so yeah, this one, the trailer looks just bonkers wild. So this is also coming in April. Um, by far one of the ones that I am most anticipating. I think I'll this see year. this on my birthday. That's gonna be my goal. But this I did put this in my mm-hmm. number one in cap, but it really, you know, the top few of this are it's all kind of the same because I yeah. but but I didn't watch the trailer till today and I watched the first half of it and then I was like, Oh, I'm good. But what got me excited was a moving away from you know this IP of the characters but what what i was most excited is it's obviously going for a straight horror film and that's yep. exciting because only sam can do the version of evil dead with humor he's the only person yep. who should do that uh and i like the evil dead remake a lot but it's still dealing with a character name and cabin and this feels like the first true swing and it will either be brilliant and work or it won't but i'm excited for to see it. how do you have that much discipline if i am staring <laughs> at the internet and here is a link that says New trailer for Evil Dead movie release. I am going to click on it and I'm going to watch the whole thing. Yes, and I couldn't stop midway. That's like eating half a bag of potato chips. My friend from college. Like, nobody uh, can do that, My, my friend who and I stayed with James was staying with him in New Zealand. He, he would like, if I knew the ending, like the last seconds of Evil Dead Rise, he would go, oh, and then what happened? He would want to know everything. He doesn't care. I do. I don't want to know anything. I will, I'm still going to see the movie. Yeah, sometimes I don't even want to know the tone. Like, I don't even know want to know the style because I want to be surprised. If it's something I'm looking forward to. If it's something like this and I get the enough of it, I'm like, oh, cool. I think it's, I don't think it's all trailers fault, but I do think when I was younger, I love trailers. And I think as I've gotten older, I just like to still be a little surprised, you know? Uh, I think that's all it is. I just like being surprised. That's see, it. knowing the ending never bothers me. Oh, wow. Like I, I never like sometimes I'll even Wikipedia movies that I want to see, um, to see once if I've read the whole plot, do I still want to see it? Like, does it go where that's I would funny. like it to? And then, you know, I'll still watch it. Um, so, yeah, no, that's, I, that's it wild. still matters to me. Um, so we both have Evil Dead Rise on our list. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter if it was one or three or whatever. Yeah. You, you go next and then I'll. Okay. So next up for me is Renfield. This is the second of those vampire films. Um, this one's Chris McKay, who after the Tomorrow War and all of the good Lego movies that he did, I will watch whatever um, he does next. Also coming FYI, in April. I don't know if you know this, but uh, listener of the show. Are you serious? It's written to me before. Uh-huh. Before, I, I, before okay. Rainfield, he wrote uh, he wrote something I didn't realize who it was. It was it's a long story, but he, he seems super nice and he's so definitely someone we should have on when Renfield comes out. I just want to talk about Lego oh, me movies. Me too. Yeah, I told him like <laughs> my Batman Lego movies like one of my kids' favorite movies. It's, it's amazing. No, I can recite those Lego movies. Like they are just spoken word in my house. Um, but he's dealing I mean, with the greatest tomorrow, actor tomorrow ever. Tomorrow War's great, but yeah. So this is basically, it's Renfield, but if Dracula is Nick Cage. Yeah. And this movie, it makes me giggle just watching the trailer because I, I always, I when I teach my directing classes, it's always the idea that your characters are all supposed to feel like they exist in the same universe together, except when they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And they shouldn't in a Nick Cage movie because right. Nick Cage is over here and then here's the rest of the movie. And it seems like he somehow exacerbated that even more yeah. so. And I cannot wait to see this. Like, I, I'm just so stoked and for Nicholas it. And Holtz this is another too. one. I mean, Nicholas Holtz, Nicholas Holtz is great. great I've heard so much arguing of like, Renfield can't be charming. He can't be sexy. He can't be, you know, good looking or anything like that. He can't be powerful in any capacity because they do show that he has some level of powers. Bullshit. I am so sick of people being all like, you can't undo history reinvent some yeah, yeah. shit this is 
fun. There, and there's I only one rule, it. and that is if you make it good, no one will give a flying. No one You'll gives never a get fuck. an argument if you did it well. You only hear this bullshit when people are unhappy. You know what I mean? I remember the anger, the vitriol, because I was running the chat boards at Fangoria when the new Evil Dead came oh, out back in I like 2013. That. We still had the chat boards going, and it was like the Wild West on there of just people just lulling everything that they could insult wise at each other. And um, yeah, it was, I, everyone. You know who doesn't give a fuck? The concept. Fetty. Yep. Fetty don't give a Fetty. fuck. And you know who also doesn't give a fuck? I always, cause I show every, um, cause I teach intro to d- producing and I always show Suspiria on the first day because I feel like Suspiria calls attention to every element of the production. Sure, like yeah, it's yeah. going to hit you over the head with the production design yeah, and the walk and the music the and everything. It's the like, easiest movie to point that out. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. So I always show the opening scene on the first day. Cause I'm like, and tell me what the music is. And it screams it at you. Um, so I always show that my students have all seen the new one. Yeah. It does not change how good the old no. one is. They still love the new one as well. No one gives a fuck because totally. to them, the new one's good. Totally different movies. Yeah, they're so different. That's yeah. that's why the new one's interesting is because he mm-hmm. didn't try to make that. If he had tried yep. to make a colorful, if he'd done the technical, I think he just it just would have been silly. He had to yeah. make his own thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. That 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 cool. I, I agree. So Renfield. Sorry, I went off on a bit of a rant. No, no, no. Like this you, is what we do. you can't fuck my childhood type thing. Um, podcasters. So, yeah. We can't. We can't <laughs> fuck your childhood. That should be our. That's t-shirt. why we. That's why we get paid the big. You yeah. can't fuck. We my can't childhood. fuck your childhood. Um, <laughs> my movies are still intact. Uh, when, when you put that on a t-shirt, make sure you spell it right. Otherwise, it's going to be really <laughs> unfortunate. All right. Um, uh, my next one is one I didn't know existed until last night when i was talking to my friend dick and and i and the, the director had actually told me about it but i hadn't clicked i'm really excited about this now uh rob savage you mentioned him earlier when you talked about the mm-hmm. host uh yep. he is one for two with me uh dash cam wasn't my jam but that's okay because host was so my jam he is directing a stephen king adaptation of the boogeyman which was a yep. short written by beckon woods who did haunt and quiet place and the reason i'm excited about this is because this was meant to go straight to hulu and apparently the test screenings that they've been having are going through the fucking roof so they are going to give it a theatrical uh and uh way back in the jump cut days as you might recall uh mike williamson brought in the very first dollar baby the one that kick-started it all which was a movie from 1982 from a guy called jeff shiro it was a it was a adaptation of the story and it was you know very literal uh adaptation we watched it on film at jump yep. cut with the director it was really cool uh and creepy it was from the night shift collection and this is a a man is talking to a psychiatrist about how his three different children have all been killed and you know each one had their door locked and no one in their room so he believes uh, the boogeyman did it and he's trying to walk through mentally and he believes he's going to be next I, I, that's roughly it i don't know if that's exactly going to be the plot of you know the feature version of this but i'm really excited because i think rob's a real talent and i'm excited to see him make something that has nothing to do with found footage and i'm excited yep. to see what he'll do with you know really good writers giving him a really you know a a big property uh stephen king thing i'm excited like i want to know how this is going to feel and roll and can't wait to see what we get from this um because you know i I like it when the lesser known stephen king things get adapted that gets me a bit more excited because i don't know how they're going to turn out um so yeah yeah, look out for the boogeyman 
This one has been all over socials this week of people clamoring to see it, hearing about how good the test screening get. Like it's it's got some hype behind oh, it. Okay. So yeah, hell yes. Um, okay, so this next one, I have to put it on my list. You know it's going there, but it's one that I'm a little nervous about just because I love it so much, but I'm I'm faithful and uh I'm I am also hopeful. And that is the new Haunted Mansion movie. I, ha- I had knew that was going to be on your list when I saw the title. You know it. I know nothing about it, though. I didn't even read anything. I was like, ooh, tell me. What's it about? Okay. So it's it, I, they haven't even released much of the plot yet. Okay. What they have released, it's Justin Simeon, the guy who directed Bad Hair. Oh, yeah. Bad Hair like, is really that, good. Bad Hair is really it's good. It's great. Yeah. And that's not the first, like, immediately I'd be like, oh, God, they're going to get, like, the same guy who did, like, the Jungle Cruise movie, somebody who's done, like, these massive Disney films before so that they can Disney all over it. But the fact that they picked a horror director to do it, an indie small horror director, gives me hope. Yeah. For it, that it's going to be something like really tight. This is coming in August. Um, so as anybody who even remotely follows me on socials knows, like I, my, my Zen is on that ride is on Disney's haunted mansion. Um, and like it is, it is part of me. And so, um, you know, the, the Disney's Haunted Mansion that they released long ago with Eddie Murphy, I never found it that good. It's got really good zombies because the zombies are done. I can't. Who did them? Was it Rick Baker or Greg Mm. Nicotero? Like somebody major did those zombies and they look awesome. My kids love that movie. Like we have watched it so many times that I can sing it because they love that version. Muppets Haunted Mansion comes out. I fucking love that movie. It is just so fun. I haven't seen either of these. I gotta gotta watch them. The Muppets one is just, it's such a treat. It's just so fun. Your kids will like it. It's not super scary. Um, But yeah, and so this... I'm hoping because they did pick a horror director for it, that they are going scarier with it, that it is going to be Disney. You know, they're always nervous to go scary. They always are. I miss eighties. Disney Disney went through this patch in the eighties where they were like, let's get dark. Oh, yeah. And they did like watcher in the woods and um, the carnival, oh, crap. the carnival, the yeah, carnival. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And they did like all of these dark movies back to back. And um, what's the one with the robot where they end up in hell? And why can't I remember the name? It's got Anthony Perkins in it. This is hurting my brain. And the Black Cauldron's <laughs> really creepy. Like it's, it's really yeah. kind of quite scary for a cartoon. Yeah. Um, so they did all of these like Disney darker ones in the eighties, but then they got out of that and I miss dark Disney. So I'm hoping that they take some, some risks here, but haunted mansion coming in August. You can tell it's going to be one of their big movies of the summer. Yeah, that's cool. No, I will watch that. Um, my my next one, which would have been my other second to top, but it'll be at the top as far as this concerned. I've got a couple asterisks that I'm curious about that I'll mention afterwards. Uh, this one, hey, you know I loved X. You know I dug Pearl. I'm most excited about Maxine be- for a couple reasons. Uh, the first two were made in a bubble. So if X had been terrible... Pearl would have had a really rough go of it, but they got lucky. Yeah. X was did great and everyone loved it. And then Pearl people liked it even more in a lot of ways and very different time periods. But here's the thing. I love the idea that this is the third one and wasn't made in that bubble. This one is yes. being made after they know what people thought of the others. And it's in a Los Angeles. Uh, it is basically the Mia Goth character from X tr- dri- driving off at the end. Uh, sole survivor of the tragedy comes to LA to try to break into. I don't know if it's the porn scene of LA or if it's just film industry. That was uh, that hasn't been. It looks porn. I mean, that, Max looks- XXX probably tells you in the title. Max XXX. Uh, either way, 
I was already excited, but I got a lot more excited in the last couple of days where Mia Goth was has been doing press for Infinity Pool, which is another reason to be excited about that movie. And she said that this one is by far the best script and and the biggest and boldest and by far her favorite of the three films. Now, when I read that, I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah. All right. If she's if she's if she's saying this is better than Pearl and, you know, Pearl for her is like a total showpiece. I cannot wait to see how this concludes. And I'm excited to see something in CD 80s, especially an indie set in the 80s is more exciting yeah. to me than a big glossy movie. Um, So really excited to see where where this one ends up. And, you know, happy that Mia Goth is just, you know, kind of crushing it, Um, you know, in these in the genre film. Because when I first saw her in a movie, I, I must admit, I was a little bit like eh, something maybe it was her I, accent yeah. or something that put me off. I don't know what it was, but. I don't even remember what I first saw her in, but it was very much like, ah, uh, okay. What's, uh, I curse of never... wellness. The wellness. I think that might. Oh, have been the, the curse first. of wellness. She's, yeah, she's with the that, eels. That, yeah. Um, and it was one of those where, like, I just at the time I didn't watch it and immediately go like, oh my yeah. god, she's an amazing actress. Like, it was not anything that stood out to me. But now, like, I, you know, seeing her really take these roles on, like, she is good. That's what I love about acting oh. and acting. Why I love actors is like you don't always notice them straight away sometimes it takes 10 years of them being in stuff that you're like eh. and then one day they are literally transformed in front of your eyes with the right role and that's what's so cool mm-hmm. about that craft it's like oh shit this is not the person i thought I like i just watched william h macy in some movie the other day you know 10 maybe 15 years before fargo that i would never have known who that guy was but then you watch fargo and now we all know who william h macy is for the rest of our life you know love that feeling well, I'm going to round out the list with the um, greatest actor of all time, and that is um, Sir Jason Statham. Oh, I don't even oh, know. I, if he's I, I wrote this on my list that it had to had to be because of the director. That's like, you knew oh. this was going to be yeah. my number one. It's like the universe is giving me a movie. Um, I can't okay. believe this is going to. If he makes it a movie in his vein, I cannot wait to see what he does. Okay, so The Meg. And I know that The Meg is totally polarizing and there are people who hate it. And I have to admit, like, I, I watched, rewatched it on the show probably last mm-hmm. year around this time. When I first saw The Meg, I was so angry that it was not the book. Or the trailer. Um, the trailer. The teaser the trailer. was perfect. Yeah, yeah that's... Yeah, that it had not, that it, you know, really deviated from it. It was more about Jason Statham being all actiony and, you know, slicing the shark and riding the belly down and things like that. It didn't hit with me the first time I saw it. I rewatched it probably a year ago and actually really liked it a lot more. I watched it with my kids and we had a lot of fun with it. Coming this August, hopefully not the same weekend as Disney's Haunted Mansion because I won't know what to do. The Meg 2, The Trench. And this one is based off of the book, The Trench, which is actually great. Um, And the big thing is, this is being directed by Ben Wheatley. When I saw that first headline, like it was a while ago, I was just like, holy shit, that's exciting. I mean, it might not work, but it's exciting. He made Killist. I mean, come on. Let's see what happens. The guy who made Killist is making the next Meg movie. Now, the thing that I will say about The Meg is even if you loved it or hated it, that movie made a fuck ton of money. It was like one of the most profitable films like in years surrounding that. Like it made so much money. Um, so I hope that they throw everything at the screen for this one. I'm like excited. I just want it to be bonkers. Uh, which is going to lead me to, I have this one that I discovered. I, I was waiting to see your list, but because it's not on, I'm very excited to tell you about a movie that's going to be your other most anticipated. Uh, but first, I have a big asterisk next. My number one asterisk. This would be my number one if I knew if it was horror, but I can't fucking tell. 
Uh, and that is the new Ari Aster film, Bo is Afraid. The tra- I almost put it on there. Well, I watched the trailer. I didn't watch all of it. I'd like, I stopped before the end. It looks so, it looks like Schenectady, New York. Or like, it looks like his bold, insane movie, it, fantasy for sure. Maybe horror. I, I bet you will have horror sequences. Either way, I'm very excited to see it. But if it, it could become <laughs> the movie of the year, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, who knows? But it might not be horror. So I didn't want to, I had to put an asterisk. But I want to find out if you've heard of this one. I found this one. I, I, I wrote Meg 2 because I knew Becca. And then I write you for Becca. It. Okay. Have you heard of one called The Black Demon? No. Get ready. Okay. Josh, I'm Googling. Josh Lucas stars. And it's director of the last Rambo film. It is set an oil man who does works on a rig, goes on a vacation with his family to a place where they do lots of oil rigging. His Him and his family end up on the as the only people on this old rusty rig. And then a massive megalodon bursts out called the black demon and starts to threaten oh. them from his pri- uh, prime primeval species of shark. Paul must find a way to get his family back to the shore alive. As soon as I heard, read that, I was like, Oh my God, this is the Becca movie. So it's called the black. Demon. It looks it wow. sounds pretty bad. And that director, you know, the last <laughs> Rambo film is like a slasher movie. So it's yeah. pretty well directed and stuff. So I'm, I don't know, put that with your Meg. Oh, that, God, I, can, I hope, they can, I hope it looks good. They can cozy. I up. can't, I can't handle another Requiem or Requiem or whatever it was. I can't handle it. My heart can't take no, I it. Know. Requiem was really, really, really poor. Um, the the last thing I will say, because I don't think it's going to come out this year, but if if it comes out the start of next year, I'm very excited when I read. And I know some people are like, oh, dumb, blah, blah, blah. quit your belly aching. Eli Ross Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, but I'm fucking stoked. That's the only movie I want to see by Eli Roth for the rest of my life. And the fact <laughs> that he is now making, he's he's like literally in pre-pro right now. So this movie's going to exist is very exciting to me. Now, if he doesn't hit it, yeah, all right, big deal. Greatest trailer ever. But if he nails this, we have been forever in search of a truly fucking great Thanksgiving horror film. There's some fun bonkers ones, but there's not a truly great like Thanksgiving horror film in that way. And so I'm, I'm holding my breath. It might not be this year, but I'm excited. Okay. Okay. I've never heard you want an Eli Roth. Exactly. Movie. Right. But I want this one. I have never heard you praise an Eli Roth. Uh, movie, the first half alone. of Knock Knock is really good. The first half of Knock Knock, <laughs> let alone before it There's comes out. Moments of Cabin Fever. I've... There's moments of all his stuff, you know, and moments of Hostel 2, I think. is. I think Hostel 2 is actually pretty I like Hostel 2. Yeah, I, yeah, I like Hostel you know? 2. Um, not, a, not a fan of that green one, uh, Green Inferno. No. Green Inferno, not for no, that one. Uh, not for but me I'm excited. Either. Like, I, I would, you know, when Sam Raimi obviously went back to horror and just crushed it, it would be fun. You know, Eli Ross obviously been doing these kind of kid-like films, which is good, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It would be fun to see if he could go back to oh. really I will say his kid-like films that he did, House with the Clock in Its Walls, fucking great. Right, so, or, uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's what's called. That's him. That's him. That's him. So good. Like we own that yeah. on Blu-ray. Um, it's great. It's it's phenomenal. So yeah, there there's. I mean, I, I, I believe I, I'm. This is, this is one of the few trailers I'm, I'm actually excited for. Uh, and you know, as long as it's nasty, I'll be happy. Um, but that's the first thing that tends to get ironed out of movies these days is nasty. So we will see. But anyway, that's our our little preview. There's obviously tons of cool indies, um, and t- tons of interesting festival things, and a million reasons to go out and you know take a risk on um, some weird cinema this this coming year, which you know we will be doing. Uh, but those are some of the big ones that we know of that we're excited about. Yes. Well, Elric, we better be going to see Infinity Pool this coming weekend. I still haven't seen Missing. I love searching so much. It got so well-reviewed. I, really... I don't think I'm going to see Missing because yeah. I'll wait till you see it because I'm just not as excited about ones like screen movies. Oh, I love those. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love I like those them movies. on my computer. I don't like seeing them in a theater. 
<laughs> I don't know why, but but yes, we'll see something, and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, a couple weeks, and then on our uh, Patreon deep cut coming up, we will be finishing rounding out our January Giallo with a couple new discoveries, including a movie we both saw that we were alluding to earlier tonight. It has chickens in it and the weirdest photo shoot ever in film history. And I actually just um, found another that I didn't even know I owned. It was Ooh. like a bootleg DVD called Paranoia. Oh, yeah. And then I picked it up. I haven't seen it. I haven't it. seen I it either. It but um, if you look it up, people like uh, I know Travis Stevens gave it four stars and a lot of it's a Lindsay one. I think people like it. So yep. I want to. OK, it. I own a bootleg. And so I was like, I should watch this. So I think I might pop it in tonight. Uh, but thank you for listening, everyone. Hopefully you, uh, this gave you some uh, stuff to look forward to and check out. And uh, thank you for your continued support. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 